Hello everyone. During the COVID-19 pandemic, society's most vulnerable are at risk in several ways. Refugees and migrants in particular, whether documented or undocumented, face challenges such as having inadequate access to healthcare, reduced income, and overall increased precarity. It becomes even more complicated when their host countries do not recognize their rights. On this week's episode of Southeast Asia Dispatches, Membership Engagement Manager Deborah Augustin speaks to a journalist, writer and observer about the rise in xenophobia in Malaysia towards migrants and refugees. We've kept our guest's identity anonymous out of concerns for his safety. Hello everyone, thank you for joining me. Today I'm talking to someone who'd like to be known as a citizen of Earth. For safety reasons, we're protecting the identity of our guest who is joining us via Skype. So hello, and thank you for talking to me. Uh, maybe you could start by introducing yourself a little bit. What would you like our audience to know about you? Hello, Dobra. Thank you for this nice interview. Thank you for being here. Uh, I would just say that I am, as you mentioned, I'm a citizen of this planet, this blue planet called Earth. I'm a journalist and a writer. I live in Malaysia since three years. and. That's all. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. So today I wanted to talk about what's happening to migrants and refugees in Malaysia during the COVID-19 pandemic. So for those of you who aren't Malaysian, migrants and refugees in Malaysia are experiencing increased policing and xenophobic threats. So what was it like for the refugee community in particular prior to the pandemic? Uh, I would say things didn't change a lot after the start of this uh, threatening and this hate speech that is happening against refugees. I mean, the situation didn't change. Before the pandemic, refugees were still vulnerable people. They were working because uh, first thing that we need to mention here is Malaysia is not signatory of the 1951 Refugee Convention, neither the Protocol of 1967. So Malaysia does not have a legal framework to deal with refugees. What was happening is refugees, as you know, they don't have the choice to come here or not. These are people, all refugees in Malaysia are people who are fleeing war, uh, killing genocide, such as the Rohingya who are scamming Myanmar. So what was happening is these people were coming to Malaysia, escaping death. Then they have to be put under the current situation, which is they don't have any kind of rights. They don't have the right to work. They don't have the right to access education. So before the pandemic, the situation was not good, actually. These refugees were working under the threat of being detained, under the, under the threat of being... Uh, abused by their employers. So they were working under all these threats, sometimes even working for free, not getting paid. All these dangers were faced by refugees in Malaysia. But what is happening now is after the pandemic, most of these, these refugees were blocked from their main uh, payment or main livelihood. So they don't have any more income. So the situation is, of course, is worse after the pandemic. But I would not say that it was good before the pandemic. Right. So it was already a precarious situation before. 
And now, because of the movement control order, people cannot go to the jobs they did have previously. So we've seen, you know, more threats online. Um, we've seen a heavier police presence during the MCO. So these are all factors that are sort of making refugees afraid to be outside. Um, based on your understanding, what protections do refugees have when it comes to being detained by the police or immigration authorities here in Malaysia? Normally, before the pandemic, before all this situation, I knew many refugees who got uh, who were detained because of they were working, especially in uh, food and beverages industry, even though they have the UNRC our card, which is supposed to be some kind of, uh, I wouldn't say permit stay, but it would be some kind of identity or some kind of document to present to the authorities if you have anything to do. But the problem is these people were not allowed to work, so many of them were detained. Uh, detention was, was, was not a pleasant experience, I would say, because I talked to many of these refugees, and uh, the detention experience was was really, really bad. You know, the, the circumstances in these detention centers, I would say it's, it's, it's miserable. So does the UNHCR card present any kind of protection to its holders? I would say no. It will allow them to stay in the country, but they don't have the right to work. They don't have the right to access education. The moment these refugees step up and try to find a job to to provide for themselves, they put themselves under the danger of detention because this card, as I mentioned, the refugee card from the UNHCR does not does not give any kind of real protection for refugees in Malaysia. Right. So, I mean, you've talked a little bit about it that you know, Malaysia's put a movement control order and that's made people more afraid to leave, to go to their jobs, even if their jobs are operating again. Um, are you personally concerned for your own safety? I mean, yes, I, I would say yes and no, because the, the nature of the job also controls how much danger there is in it. Personally, if you're asking personally, my nature of my kind of job is does not put me under threat of being detained. But many, many, many other refugees, based on the nature of their work, they are always under the threat of being detained. Am I afraid for my own safety? I'm not. Right. This kind of brings me nicely to the next question, which is, you know, there are refugee communities from different parts of the world here. As of end March 2020, there are some 179,522 refugees and asylum seekers registered with the UNHCR in Malaysia from countries like Myanmar, Syria, and Afghanistan, just to name a few. Do you think everyone is experiencing this increased xenophobia equally? I would say no, because actually the the latest hate speech and... uh, Threats were going were toward Rohingya and special. You know, the whole problem started in early April when the government of Malaysia decided to push back boats of uh, Rohingya refugees trying to come inside the country. 
This was followed after that with some fake news surfacing on the social media that one leader of a Rohingya organization is demanding citizenship and legal rights for Rohingya refugees in the country, which is something the person himself denied, and he filed a police report about all these fake news. But the whole campaign of hate speech started based on fake news. This is the problem here. So it was targeting Rohingyas, but, you know, there was, uh, it started targeting all other refugees, documented and undocumented foreign workers, immigrants. I would say it was targeting all the other people, if you might call it, everyone who is not Malaysian. But mainly it was a target, it was targeting the Rohingya. So I would not say it's not the same for all the refugee communities in Malaysia. Right. And so just to talk specifically about that that video, it was a video and the refugee, uh, the Rohingya community leader, he's speaking in his own language. And then there are um, subtitles that say that claim that he is asking for citizenship rights in Malay, right? This is the, the video that you're talking about? Yes. First first of all, this person is, is not a representative of the whole Rohingya community. Second of all, what was happening is there was a scary type of generalization against the whole refugee, Rohingya refugee community. Because if one person I'm not saying he did, but let's say if if he if he really did that and he did not, if he, one person of a community asked for citizenship or whatever he asked for, what was happening is there was generalization against the whole community. One person one person was used to attack the whole community. So that is the problem here. They are building people who are attacking the Rohingya refugee and xenophobes in Malaysia are building their whole attack on something that did not happen or something that was not asked and of a person who do, who does not represent the whole refugee community in Malaysia. Yeah, there's a big generalization being made and it's had like a snowball effect that's affecting more, well, targeting the Rohingya community, but it's it's affecting everybody. Yes. But we, we see this kind of sentiment from people across the globe. This is not something that's specific to only one country, unfortunately. Where do you think this kind of rhetoric comes from? As you mentioned, it's not just here. There's always people who, who will look at the other, as I would describe it, look at the other people who are different. They might be different in, in skin color. They might be different from different religion, they might be from different ethnicity, they might be from different ba- background. There's always this person who will look at the other people as danger for themselves just because they are different. Uh, I would say this normally, what I believe is, this comes from insecurity. This comes from imaginary fears. And most importantly, this comes from education. When the education system is not working on educating people about the other people, about the other cultures and different backgrounds, when the education system itself has many racist remarks, 
many wrong ideas about race and other cultures, this will lead to the result that we are seeing today. This is not a problem that started yesterday and is happening today. This is a deep problem. It's deep in the education system. It's deep in society itself. I would say this whole thing comes from education and how the person was raised at home. This plays, this is, this is a factor that many people are ignoring. Many people are throwing it on wrong reasons. For me, I believe education is essential and the way a person was raised is very essential. If a person was raised, raised in, a, in a family that believes in humanity, that believes in, in integrating and living with other cultures and backgrounds, this will have a very positive effect on people when they grow up. So what we are seeing today is the result of a failed education system. And I would not say it's a racist society, but I would say a society that was dealing with racism and discrimination a long time ago and still doing until today. Yeah, there's a lot of different factors that feed into, I think, what has been produced today. And I think one thing that definitely plays a factor is media. Um, you know, wh what are your observations on how the media has been reporting on this situation? Actually, um, um, as, as a refugee, I'm not happy with the way the Malaysian media, local media here was dealing with the whole case that is happening. First of all, media in Malaysia, and I said this in many discussions that Media in Malaysia insists on using the word illegal every time they talk about the issue of undocumented immigrants. These people are not illegal, first of all. They insist on using this term. Normally, the authorities are using this term to justify what they are doing, to justify their actions. But when the media, who is supposed to help people, educate people, and inform people, are using this title, I would say it it affects a lot of people. It affects the way people look at other people because when you say a human is illegal, you are affecting how, the way I see that other human. Many people will be afraid of them. Many Malaysians think that these quote-unquote illegal people came in the country in, in some strange ways. They think they got here through human smugglers or whatever. But the fact that many many, many of these undocumented workers or migrants, they came here documented, they came normally, they came in a legal way, through agents, through companies. But later, what happened inside Malaysia left them to be undocumented. There's many factors here. I don't think we have time to talk about all these. But what, what I want to say here is the way the media portrays the picture of, of refugees Whenever you see a picture of a refugee in Malaysia, especially in, me in Malaysian media, you always see this picture of people sitting on the ground, dirty clothes, and all this. I'm not saying there's no... Of course, there's, uh, there are deprived refugees who do, who do not have good income, who do not have access to a good lifestyle, but... What I mean here, they are there is stereotyping of refugees in Malaysian media. They always show them as those people who look dirty, who are deprived of everything. So this this portrayal of refugees try to, to draw a stereotype of refugees in the eyes 
and minds of Malaysian people. So the media had a very negative effect on the way people dealt with refugees. And more of that, the Malaysian media opened up, opened the door for many xenophobes' narratives toward refugees. It opened the place for articles, for videos, for narratives saying on criminalizing refugees and undocumented workers in Malaysia. I think as a journalist and as a writer, I think the way the Malaysian media dealt with everything that is happening nowadays, it played a negative role in drawing uh, a stereotype of refugees in Malaysia. Yeah, the, the term illegal is pretty consistently used across media platforms here when referring to migrants, um, usually, but also to refugees. And that's actually something new narrative on World Press Freedom Day, which also coincided with a online protest that some Malaysians organized, um, a campaign called Migrant Juga Manusia, which means migrants are humans too. We asked our peers in the media to please stop using the term illegal for some of the reasons that you've outlined. They, that that word stigmatizes other people and undocumented is a perfectly accurate way to refer to someone who's here um, without documents. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think the way that that's the, the wording used is very, very important. Of course, it is because words, uh, words affect ideas. I think we all agree that language has effect on the way I see things. So when you say, when you describe people as illegal, someone who is not really educated, educated or someone who is not, doesn't have enough information about the whole refugee thing in Malaysia, the whole refugee case in Malaysia. When you say illegal, it will affect the way they look at people. They will look at them as criminals. There's this kind of stigma that will, that will be this stigmatization against the whole refugee community. So yes, I do agree with you. The use of words undocumented is the best way to describe the situation these people are in right now. And as a journalist yourself, what do you think are responsible ways for the media to report on the issue of refugees and migrants? I think the, th- the most important thing for the media that should do if they were really, if they were really, uh, if they really want to address this case in a, in a professional and a human way is to let inform people about the circumstances of these people. So when you say that these people, when you, when you write about undocumented workers, you should at least give a little background about how a person normally becomes undocumented. Uh, they don't give enough information about these people, how they came here, how they became what they are right now. I think the media should start educating people if they are willing. The problem here is also what is the policy behind these media outlets? I would say the policy is important. Are these media, as the Malaysian media, willing to inform people and educate them about refugees? That's a very important point. So I think the most important thing is educating and informing people about refugees because you see, None of the media that in Malaysia right now, as long as I know, wrote anything informative about who are refugees in Malaysia. 
what are their circumstances? Do they receive any kind of financial aid? Because you see all these myth, uh, all these mythologies about refugees in Malaysia nowadays. You hear narratives or you hear uh, fake stories like one that uh, refugees receive a daily financial aid from UNHCR. Some other stories say that refugees receive money from the Malaysian government, which both are wrong. But you never see the Malaysian media breaking out this, breaking up these stories. So what I would say here is Malaysian media should try to work more in informing, informing people and educating them about undocumented workers, refugees, immigrants, or anyone who is not Malaysian in this country. The Malaysian media should play a role in educating people, which they are not. And that would help to sort of counter this narrative that we have right now. Of course, but the problem, even these narratives, you see them in the in the media in Malaysia. That's the problem. I mean, I, w- I will not mention any names, but there was an article about Rohingya refugees. I forgot the name, but it was by a Malaysian writer about why Rohingya refugees are bad for the country and why they should all be sent back to their, to Myanmar. The, the whole article is based on fake news. The whole article is based on wrong factual information and it's based on personal opinion that these people are evil. He was just justifying all the violence that they in genocide they faced back in their homeland. So when I see the Malaysian media opening the door for such narratives, I can't be I can be only disappointed and I can only assume that they don't want to inform people about, they don't want to inform people about the real situation of these people. And that's why I, that's why I say it and say it again that if the Malaysian media really want to address this issue, they should read more about it, first of all, they should get to know these people more, they should talk to refugees, they should they should voice out the refugees' narratives itself. Every refugee should have the right to talk to the media, tell his story, tell his circumstances and how he became a refugee. This way, people will be more informed. Will be more informed. They will have more information about this because normally humans are enemies against things they don't know. And. Speaking of people who might want to support refugee communities, you know, there are some Malaysians who I think are already allies or want to be allies of refugees. How can they support refugee communities, especially at this time? There are many, many Malaysians who are supporting refugees. I just don't want anyone to understand from what I mentioned before that I see the Malaysian society as against the refugees, I would not say that. There are some Malaysians who are attacking refugees. There are many xenophobes in Malaysia. But on the other hand, there's many supporters and allies of refugees in Malaysia, many Malaysian citizens who are supporting the case, who are really good informed about it. They know what they are talking about and they are supporting refugees in different ways. Mainly, uh, many of these people are supporting the NGOs that are working with refugees and helping refugees. Second of all, many of these people are writing, are informing and educating about refugees and their their circumstances, their uh, their stories. Many of them are working with refugees, whether it's on humanitarian 
work, whether it's some, we, we saw many art and literature. We, you have the refugee literature festival, refugee festival that happens every year. I would say mainly they are trying to educate the Malaysian public about refugees through art, through writing, through information and facts, and mainly stories from refugees themselves. So kind of spotlighting refugee voices is one of the great ways to support refugee communities, in your opinion? Yes. So maybe this way, maybe they think it will help to stop the stigma against refugees and foreigners in general in Malaysia. Thank you so much um, for sharing with us. I think that's a really important um, aspect of supporting refugee communities. As you pointed out, you know, there are organizations that exist and um, but I think maybe one of the, the the aspects that doesn't get talked about so much is how to give refugees their own voice to tell their own stories yes of course it's it's important to to have a platform it's important for refugees to have a platform where they can voice out their stories their 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 problems, whatever they are facing. So yes, many people are saying about, many people are talking about, the problem is many people here mention is the financial aid. The problem for refugees is not always only the financial part, the way they they provide for them, themselves. Of course, work and education is very important, but also having a platform to voice out, to talk from, to show their skills and their talents and all all the experience they have in many fields of life because for many people refugees are those people who don't have skills many people in malaysia they think of refugees as the people as people who don't have skills who don't have education which is not right at all that's why i mentioned the refugee festival as one very good example of a platform for the refugees because this platform allowed many refugees to show who they are, to show their special, to show their very, uh, their special identities, their special background, to show the talents and experiences they have in life, just to change the stereotypical narrative of refugees, that they are all the same. Refugees are just like everyone else. They have different circumstances, they have different backgrounds, they have different cultures. So as you mentioned, yes, it's a point that not talked about a lot, but it's still very, very, very important point to mention whenever we're talking about the way Malaysia deals with refugees. All right. I think that's all the time that we have for today. And thank you once again for joining me. Thank you so much. Our thanks to Deborah Augustin and our anonymous guest for joining us on this week's episode of Southeast Asia Dispatches. If you'd like to contribute towards initiatives that support refugees in Malaysia, you can check out the website kitajagakita.com. That's K-I-T-A-J-A-G-A-K-I-T-A dot com. Next week, be sure to tune in to New Narrative's Political Agenda, our fortnightly podcast on current affairs in Singapore. And check out our website at newnarrative.com for more stories from Southeast Asia. If you enjoy what we're doing, please do support our work by becoming a member of New Narrative at newnarrative.com slash join. Memberships start at just 52 US dollars a year. That's just one US dollar a week. Or you can donate at newnarrative.com slash donate. 
we are trying to raise 75,000 US dollars by the end of June, which we need to survive. So please do join or donate. Thank you. This is PJ Thumb wishing all our listeners a great week ahead. Jumpa lagi.